That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I am Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of the China Project. On this week's episode, China sanctions two U.S. companies, Warren Buffett sells BYD and TSMC shares, Huawei suspends auto business chief, and more Chinese women are not having kids. All right, let's jump right into the latest episode of the China-U.S. standoff. On Thursday, Beijing added two U.S. companies to its list of unreliable entities for their participation in arms sales to Taiwan, China's Ministry of Commerce said. The companies, Lockheed Martin and a subsidiary of Raytheon Technologies, will be fined twice the contract value of their arms sales to Taiwan since September 2020, the ministry said. The sanctions and fines came one day after China warned that it would hit the U.S. with countermeasures over violations of its sovereignty. The action could further escalate the recent dispute between the two countries over an alleged spy balloon. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken called off a planned visit to Beijing this month in the wake of the U.S. sighting of a Chinese balloon in American airspace. Washington contended that the balloon was used for spying, while China claimed it was a civilian airship collecting weather data that went off course. The balloon was shot down by an American F-22 off the coast of South Carolina. Now, moving on from politics to business, Warren Buffett, one of the world's most famous investors, has been slashing his holdings in electric car maker BYD and chip manufacturing giant TSMC. On February 3rd, Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway sold more than 4 million of BYD's Hong Kong-listed shares for 1.1 billion Hong Kong dollars, or 140 million U.S. dollars, reducing its stake in the carmaker to 11.9%. The investment firm used to hold more than 20% of the automaker's Hong Kong equity. It held on to the position until at least June. Since July, Berkshire Hathaway has frequently trimmed its holdings in BYD while raking in huge returns. The total shares offloaded have come close to $95 million, including the February share sale, and the amount of money Buffett pocketed could reach an estimated $21 billion Hong Kong dollars. BYD isn't the only company whose shares were sold by the investment guru. 
In a surprise move, Berkshire Hathaway slashed its holding of TSMC's American Depository Receipts, ADRs, by 86% last quarter, months after disclosing a major stake. Assuming it sold them at the average price over the period, the stake would have fetched $3.7 billion. Following the news, shares of the chipmaker slid as much as 4% in Taipei as investors were spooked by Buffett's unusual quick reversal. TSMC's shares had jumped in November on a report that Buffett acquired a stake worth about $5 billion. Moving on to more news about chips, on Tuesday, chipmaker Huahong Semiconductor reported a tenth straight quarter of record revenue and solid profit growth in last year's fourth quarter, sparking a jump of its Hong Kong-listed shares the next day. The Shanghai-based company has benefited from growing domestic demand for new energy vehicles and from the solar industry. Chinese chip manufacturers like Huahong have landed at the heart of recent U.S. efforts to stymie the development of China's semiconductor industry by limiting companies' access to advanced foreign chip-making technology. They may also start to feel the pressure of an industry slowdown as demand peaks following the global chip shortage during the early years of the COVID-19 pandemic. But for now, at least, contract shipmakers are still riding relatively high on strong demand. Turning to the latest industry news, first up, the latest personnel change at Huawei. Huawei Technologies suspended its chief operating officer of its auto business unit, people close to the company confirmed to Caixin. The suspension of Wang Jun, who also served as the president of its self-driving product line, was related to poor progress in the commercialization of the auto unit's Huawei Inside smart car system, as the company has been pushing for its auto business to turn a profit, the person said. And ByteDance is officially taking on Meituan by venturing into food delivery. The company's popular short video app Douyin is testing delivery services in Beijing, Shanghai, and Chengdu, putting itself in a potential head-to-head fight with industry leaders Meituan and Alibaba's Ilama. The move is part of ByteDance's search for new revenue sources and followed Douyin's push into e-commerce. Meituan, which is estimated to dominate more than half of the market, previously unveiled plans to hire as many as 10,000 people this quarter, seen as an attempt to fend off Douyin's challenge. Food delivery in China was a $66 billion market in 2022, even after a regulatory crackdown wiped out billions of dollars in value, according to research firm iMark Group. And we'll wrap up this episode with a bit of trending news in China. More women in China are just saying no to having kids. That's according to a new survey, which shows that the percentage of childless women in China surged to nearly 10% in 2020 from around 6% in 2015. The findings sparked a widespread discussion on Weibo, China's Twitter-like social platform. Some people believed that women in China will only be willing to have more children when society takes the physical and monetary costs of raising kids more seriously. Others say the data isn't surprising because having a child is not a must for women nowadays, as attitudes toward raising a family have changed. The survey, which was released at the China Population and Development Forum, shows the average number of children per woman dropped from 1.63 in 2019 
to 1.19 in 2022. Chinese households are undergoing a transition characterized by low fertility rates and smaller family sizes. China's average household shrank to 2.62 people in 2020, down from just over 3 people 10 years ago. This comes as China is struggling with a tumbling birth rate, resulting in the country's population falling for the first time in six decades last year. Let's turn now to Caixin Global reporter Denise Jia to talk about China's mineral appetite as its EV sector shifts into high gear. Hello, Denise, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Kaiser. It's great to be here. So we've been hearing a lot about how Chinese companies are on the hunt for mining assets all over the world uh, in the last several years. So, Denise, could you tell us what kinds of minerals specifically China is looking for and why the country needs just so many of them? China greatly relies on foreign supplies of a number of key minerals because it doesn't have enough of its own. For example, the country accounts for more than half of the world's consumption of cobalt, aluminum, and copper. But some of its strategic mineral reserves are fewer than 20% of the world's total. China also uses up to half of all nickel, iron, and lithiums consumed in the world. This huge demand is driven by its electric car market. China has the world's largest and fattest growing electric car market. And minerals such as lithium, cobalt, and nickel are key materials used to make the batteries used in electric cars. I see. Where do Chinese companies actually then buy these metals or ores from? For lithium, it will be from the Lithium Triangle, which are Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile. These three countries together hold more than half of the world's lithium reserves. Bolivia actually has the world's largest lithium reserves, but little means to develop them. China is also very active in Zimbabwe, where it has benefited from friendly investment policies. This South African country is estimated to hold Africa's largest lithium reserves, but because of lack of investment, most of it is underdeveloped. For cobalt, the Democratic Republic of the Congo has the largest reserves in the world, about half of the world's total. Other big cobalt reserves can be found in Australia, Cuba, the Philippines, Russia, and Canada. For nickel, Chinese companies can find it in Australia, Indonesia, South Africa, also Russia and Canada. It sounds like an awful lot of resources that need to be mined. Has, has it been smooth sailing so far? Unfortunately, it's becoming more challenging for Chinese miners to invest overseas. Since the second half of 2020, Western countries have come to realize that they themselves need to secure these key materials on the back of surging new energy vehicle sales. So countries including the US, UK, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand have all adopted policies to tighten foreign acquisitions of key mineral assets in their countries. For example, the Canadian government in last November ordered three Chinese companies to divest their interest in three Canadian mining companies. I see. And so how does this affect Chinese firms' strategies 
This trend is forcing Chinese buyers to look for riskier and more expensive ways to acquire overseas assets, such as taking direct stakes in projects instead of the parent companies. China is also seeking more deals in South America and Africa, especially in Africa, where Australian and North American mining companies are less active. So, is China trying to build up its own production capabilities of such minerals to open mines domestically, and to thereby reduce its dependence on foreign supplies? That's exactly what China is trying to do. The authorities realized they need to safeguard their own minerals, as they are critical to economic security and national security. In a meeting in January, the Ministry of Natural Resources. Pledged to ramp up the domestic hunt for minerals and energy resources, it will also launch new policies to encourage private investment in mining exploration, and gave priority to land use for extracting strategic minerals. So, is it actually easy to to find and exploit resources like lithium in China? Not really, and that's one of the most significant problems. China's lithium resources are scattered, and are of inferior quality. According to one research, 75% of China's lithium resources are in salt lakes in Qinghai and Tibet. However, due to a low concentration and relatively high levels of impurities, it is challenging to extract lithium from salt lakes. So mining lithiums in China is limited by natural conditions, money, and technology. In addition, exploration companies in search of new reserves on average need 15 years before coming to production. Before that, they need to be funded continuously. But as one independent director of mining giant Zijin Mining Group told Caixin. China's capital markets lack financing opportunities for young mining companies that are in early exploration stages. There are also risks that the investment could fail if the mine does not come into production. Sounds like it's going to be a long hunt then. Well, thanks, Denise, for all that info. My pleasure, Kaiser. Thank you for having me. Talk next time. Talk next time. Look forward to it. My pleasure, Kaiser. Thank you for having me. Talk next time. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and by Kelsey Chung, Zhang Yukun, Lin Jinbing, and Suzanne Wang at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts in the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Stories. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from the China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>